I've spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious fund managers around. And now I've decided to take the plunge and start my own fund. The real question is, how will I do it? With no investors and without an Ivy League degree, this podcast is going to give you the answer. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we start and build multi-million dollar investment funds. I'm Bridger Pennington, and this is Investment Fund Secrets. All right, welcome back to the show. Today we got with us Lawrence Yang. Lawrence, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you for having me, Bridger. This is going to be a fun episode. So Lawrence calling in from Australia. And actually, we first connected. You reached out and said, Bridger, your story sounds a lot like mine. You started your first fund, I believe, when you were 22 years old. Is that right? That's correct. Uh, 22 years old, launched another fund, just launched a third fund, and you're 26 years old now. Currently has, uh, right here on his website, $85 million US under management as of June 14th, 2021, which is incredible. So I was like, we got to bring Lawrence on the show. He's a young guy running a hedge fund out of Australia. And the cool thing about you guys, which I think is, is amazing, you can go on your website and see your audited financials. You have them right here. I'm actually going to pull them up. Um, to just see your little bit of your tracker. So 2018 is the, I think the oldest one here. Is that right? That's right. So 2018 um, started with 21 million euros, grew that to 37 million euros, 16 million euro profit and a 76% return. We're going to talk about that in a minute. 2019 to 2020, you had a started with 31 million, went to 42 million, $11 million return, 35% return. And then 2020 Total nav was $45 million. And I believe you're, you're probably still working on those audit, you know, financials as well there. Um, but pretty cool to see what you guys have done. And then you were just telling me before the call, you've recently launched a new fund, Chinese Opportunity Zone Fund. Is that correct? That's correct. So in February, due to like, you know, overwhelming demand from our investors, we actually started a second fund, the Lawrence Holdings China Opportunities Fund to focus on the Chinese market. So that fund will be focusing on trading the uh, you know, Chinese stocks listed on Hong Kong exchange, the H shares and uh, Hang Seng futures and uh, China equity futures in Singapore. Jeez, really cool. Well, okay. When with that resume, we got a 26 year old kid. I say kid, I'm the same age as you. Uh, I'm used <laughs> to talking to guys that are 40, 50 years old on here, managing 85 million euros. You're the chief investment officer. You're the founder of this. I'm excited to hear your story. We're going to hear about how you've raised money, how you brought it together, your trading, all that kind of stuff on this episode. It's going to be it's going to be really fun. Um, now, to give people an, an overview of your in, of the new fund that's going to be in China, but the, these funds I just mentioned, the 45 million euros here, what are you primarily investing in? What kind of categories do you go after and what types of trades do you make? So diversification is the key. That saying never goes old. So the flagship fund, you know, the, the one you're talking about, it's called a premium investment fund, Euro-denominated fund. We primarily invest in five different asset classes. So equity, that includes large cap stocks on NYSE and NASDAQ. And uh, we have, we also invest in um, equity index, uh, you know, indices futures, S&P 500, the Dow, and the DAX from Germany, Nikkei from Japan. So... That's number one. And number two, we're investing in foreign exchange, Forex. And uh, number three, we're investing um, more or less um, crypto futures like Bitcoin. You know, I think Bitcoin is the main one for crypto only recently, but to a much less degree. Maybe we, you know, trade Bitcoin once, twice a year. And um, um, the next one will be 
um, treasuries. So we trade ZN, you know, the 10 year note futures from the US and also ETFs. Wow. And you yeah. mentioned future is are most of those asset classes futures or is it, is do you buy regular equities? Are you buy trading options on those doing all the above? What are you primarily doing? We do derivatives. So let's say okay. for commodities, we use commodities futures. And for single stocks, we use single stocks CFDs. I know CFD is banned in the US, but uh, in Europe, in Australia, CFD is very, very popular. Hmm, really cool. Well, Lawrence, impressive what you've done. And, and, and still in the grind, growing like crazy. The, our first call you took with me, I didn't realize it. You took it at like five in the morning. It was yesterday, right? That's correct. <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> early. I mean, I, you can just tell the hustle that you have. I think you hop on a, a daily call every day at uh, 10, 30 or 11 PM nighttime in Australia, but you're waking up for people in around the world with your investment team. So take us back a little bit, Lawrence. How did, how did you get into this? Uh, tell us about your, your story of getting into trading and then not just getting into it because a lot of people test out trading. How did you actually get into it and then scale up, raise capital and decide to go after the fund? Right, sure. So I founded Lawrence Holdings Group in 2017 and at the age of 22. And 10 years before I founded my company all the way back in 20, 2007, when I was 12 years old, I witnessed my mother who's a doctor and traded stocks only, you know, only as a side hobby. So it's not a full-time and she five-folded her portfolio in just over a year. So 07, we had a major bull market before that. So that success story served as my early inspiration. So I started reading and educating myself on trading ever since. So 07, I was 12 years old. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, and then I have to admit my starting point as a trader was pretty bad. In 2012, I started paper trading, you know, demo trading, basically trading with virtual fake money. And you're in I was high school at this time, account. right? Sorry? You're in high school at this time, right? How old are you? Um, 2012, I was 17. Yeah, high school, 17, more or less. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I started paper. So I traded with, you know, started with 100K virtual fake money. I was running the account with like 50 times leverage trading oil. And I tripled my account in just over two weeks. And I thought I was a master of the universe. And with that mindset, so I just borrowed 20K US, you know, uh, from my mom, real money to start trading. I said, mom, I've got this amazing trading strategy. I'm the best trader in the world. I was born to be a trader. <laughs> and uh, what happened is um, I lost 15K out of the 20K, 75%, three quarters of that money in... I, I believe less than four days. And it was crazy because I was running real money with leverage. And then when we have a big floating loss, I started getting nervous. I closed the position way too early. So, um, you know, I realized when you start trading real money, the emotions kick in. And it's a completely different story. Like it's <laughs> why, why is that? I, you hear that? That's actually a common story you hear from people that trade is, I was paper trading just fine. The moment it was real money, it was completely different. Why do you think that is? Emotions. Like, you know, and as amateurs, we start to visualize, okay, I could have done this. I could have bought a new car with this money and you don't want to cut loss. Whereas, you know, with paper trading, you know, it's fake money, just a number. And that's exactly how you should approach your real account. No? Like, you know, just a number. It's not money. Don't visualize it. That's, that's just the way it is. <laughs> <laughs> that's so interesting. So yeah, the emotions get away. It's a hundred percent. I mean, when you, and I actually, it's funny, a lot of investors I'll bring on the show, bring that up. They say, 
the best way to learn investing is by starting and just getting in the game because mm-hmm. the emotions start to play in. And then, and then they go, you'll get your teeth kicked in on a few things. And then what you'll, what'll happen is you'll, you'll learn what to invest and in, how to look for things that you really are going to emotionally be okay with <laughs> or That's how to separate right. emotions from the investments, like what you just mentioned. So, sorry, I cut you off. So your paper trading, you had, tw- then you got 20 grand for your mom. You mm-hmm. lost 60, 70% of it in like four days. So what'd you do then? So, well, I just went back and did a lot of homework. The good thing though, I didn't give up. So very luckily, my, my, my god sister was working for the trading desk of UBS in Hong Kong. So um, with her help, by 2014, I was able to form an advisory board of 10 experts with extensive background in global financial markets and technical analysis. So this time around is very different. I borrowed 100K from my poor parents again, <laughs> but I put up this, uh, what should I say, advisory board together. So it's a, it's a US-based uh, consulting company. So they advised me on, um, you know, basically um, all the investment decisions Decisions, and um, they have teams in Miami, in New York City, in Toronto, in London, in Hong Kong. Basically, cover every single. They cover every single time zone. So, uh, and you know, we 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 started trading global markets. Hmm. Um, the advisory team they actually successfully pre- predicted some of the biggest market movements of the year between 2014 to 2015. Most remarkably, the total and complete collapse of the oil price, you know, WTI and oil price in the US. So uh, advised by my team, I took advantage of the movement by short selling the WTI futures. And by the end of 2015, I was able to return over 50% to my early investors, basically my friends and family. Jeez. So, and this, this advisory team, did you hire them? It was a company. Did you just hire them? And get added to one of their, you know, you could get their reports and stuff like that. Or how does it work with them? It's like a subscription-based service. It's like a, more or less like Bloomberg Terminal. So you basically subscribe to the service and then they send reports to your email every single day, four times a day. So London, um, Asia, and New York, and New York um, twice in, during New York, like, you know, lunch break. So, um, and then you just read reports and then you make your own decision. So it's not like a, your traditional trading service provider, but, uh, that's, uh, that's, that's just, um, how it works. But they've, they've been like, it sounds like very useful for you. Have you used them for how long have you been using that one group? Um, well, since 2014, I'm still using them. Wow. So seven years you've used that same group. Seven years. And that, that's sounds just like one- you've loved them. Hey. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. They help me with my trading a lot. And especially when it comes to risk management, that's absolutely the number one thing. Before you make money, you talk about risk management. That's uh, um, um, the first thing you have to know as a trader. To be a long-term profitable trader, risk management is absolutely number one. Hmm. I love it. So so you you got 100 grand friends and family. You returned 50% to them. Um, mm-hmm. And then what happened there? Oh, actually, sorry. The 100 grand was actually used, like you know, used to put up with this advisory board to set up my operation team, and oh, then just I the advisory board. Oh wow! Just for that, and of course, you know, to start my company and then everything. Basically, the operation side of the business, I used that 100 grand from my mom, and actually raised 850 grand for my um, friends and family money. And then, so yeah, basically, we returned 50 percent on that 850k in less than two years. 
And then, um, you know, I get that track record. The good thing, though, I, I actually set up that as a company instead of trading that on my personal account. So I set up it properly as a, as a, as a what, what, what you would call on your channel as a, as a um, syndication deal. There we go. So I set it up properly as a company and then I use that because, you know, when you trade your personal account, nobody believes in you. Like people, like you said, people just call it BS. Um, Also, you know, uh, I write this on my blog. You have a survivorship bias when you trade personal account. Think about it. Like one trader could potentially run up to unlimited uh, unlimited number of like accounts and only show you the ones that survived, that performed well. Like, you know, yeah. let's say I can have Lawrence Yang's account, can, like I can run five accounts and four of them lose 80%. The only one makes 50% get it audited and that's not how it works. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, very importantly, I brought this friends and family up as a, as a, as a syndication deal, as a, as a company. And then I used their track record to start raising outset capital. Hmm. Okay, really cool. So uh, fast forward to when, when you were 22 years old, Mm-hmm. When you went out to raise your first fund, how much did you raise? Um, and and how, I mean, was it friends and family? Where'd you go to, did you raise the money? Did you have somebody else help you raise the money? How did you go about raising that first, when I see the first audit financials, about, it was about 15 million, is that correct? Or how much was that first big raise? So what happened is 2016, Christmas, I was uh, in Germany for Christmas. Um, you know, I went to the Christmas market and then um, a friend of mine, his, uh, his uncle works for the embassy. And then he said, hey, Lawrence, I heard, uh, you know, my friend Justin. Justin said, you are a very good trader. Hey, I'd like to introduce you to a friend of mine. And he is the, the manager of a multi-billion dollar family office here in Europe. Like, would you like to meet him? I said, hey, sounds good. And then I actually went there and met him. And then after I met with the, you know, with the, the, the CIO of the family office, he said, hey, Lawrence, you should meet my boss. And then he introduced to his billionaire boss. And then... Wow. We actually started with a managed account of this uh, European billionaire, which uh, for privacy reasons, I wouldn't mention too much about his details. But uh, we started with a 5 million USD, not Euro. Like, you know, he said, hey, Lawrence, I've got this $5 million trading account. And I deposited money and it's not doing so well. Would you like to take it over and just trade on my account? So I actually started, I didn't start a fund. I started as a managed account. And so who like what that is, were you, and so for what's, explain to us what a managed account is. Are you, you're logging in essentially as a user into his account and just making trades for him on his account. Is that correct? That's correct. Exactly right. So ever since like, you know, Bernie Madoff and, you know, his big scandal, the $65 billion Ponzi scheme collapsed. A lot of people, especially institutional investors, they demand separately managed account. They, they want, they want to have, um, you know, SMA, separately managed account. They want SMA to have direct ownership and transparency. So um, it's getting more popular. I, I believe Ray Dalio, like, you know, um, the Bridgewater, they, they do manage the account for solving wealth funds as well. So it's not just commingled. So that's a very good way to get started. Even before you get, you know, you start a first commingled fund or incubator fund, I think uh, uh, a managed account is a very good way to get started. Hmm, really interesting. That's cool. That And that's something we don't talk about in the show a lot is it's very, it's a lot easier to get that trust factor of instead of just, Hey, wire me a million dollars. Hey, I'll just log into your, and do you, do you get set up separate logins or 
I'm sure brokers will allow you to to have a separate user login interface. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. And you know, even if you want to make a withdrawal to the bank account from the brokerage account, you can only, they have to do a name check. So you can only go back to the investor's account instead of yours. So it's impossible for you, let's say, Lawrence, manage money for Bridger. I can only make withdraw on behalf of Bridger instead of like, you know, oh, I make a $1 million wire transfer to Lawrence. That's that's impossible. Yeah, cool. Really cool. Okay, so you got, which is, this is incredible. So you meet this family office, they give mm-hmm. you a $5 million account and mm-hmm. you, I'm sure, were you a little nervous? Um, I would say a bit, but more exciting, I would say. Like, you yeah. know, how, how I feel surreal. Uh, yeah, really good. I think we returned twenty percent of that, like you know, five to six million dollars, in just below a year, eleven months, I believe. And uh, we started like you know in early early uh, twenty seventeen, and then by November twenty seventeen, this billionaire introduced his friend to who is a property developer to to my fund. So with two investors and fifteen point five million euros, and we started the first fund. So that, that was late 2017. But, you know, um, uh, just, just another remark, like just another, um, what should I say, uh, remark to the, to the SMA, the separately managed account. It's great on the trust factor, but it's not good on, on selfish reason. As fund managers, it's not good for you to build a track record because it's in other people's account and you cannot potentially, you're not going to audit your, your investor's account and go out and say, hey, I can trade in this account. Like it's, it's hard for you to build your track record, like written other than word of mouth, you know, advertising for yourself. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's hard to build some, something like, you know, solid, solid for yourself. Interesting. So it's good to, to, it's easy to start, but hard to continue to scale just because of the nature of you can't get audits done. You're not going to, you can't really mm-hmm. show that as a track record. So when you got the two, these two big investors, you said you started to fund, were you, were you doing special managed accounts for both of them or did they give you money into a fund and do a separate account? So we basically, um, the second investors jump on board like, you know, later. And in 2017, I had a few months, what, what I call trial period of SMA, separately managed account as well. And then by, you know, by the end of the year, 2017, we started actually commingle those two separate managed accounts into one fund. Mm-hmm. Because I was thinking, I had a business mind. It's like, you know, I had a business like, hey, why don't I just start a company and put this into a, a fund structure, co-mingled fund, so I can actually get it certified by accountants and auditors and start raising more money. Hmm, really cool. That's awesome. So, okay. So you so you moved into a fund. Um, was a smart move, by the way. It's amazing. So that, and you were 22 years old, got that going. And then you, that's the funds we just saw, the audited financial, all that stuff. And then from there, it was just, did, and you, I've obviously you've just gained more investors since then as an open-ended fund model. Is that correct? That's correct. So we actually signed up the third investor in 2019. And that's about it. 45 million euros, three investors and myself. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> amazing. So it's, it. it's not about like, you know, how many investors you should have. Like uh, we only take... You know, not only qualified investors, I, I prefer the word, our primary market is individuals. So they are bigger than your individual investors, like, you know, who can only put 250K, but they are smaller than your, your um, institutional investors with a $250 million minimum asset allocation. They are not a good fit for us because of the, the you know, the, the, the AUM we have right now. So that's why I see a lot of fund managers, you know, what I call the chasing 
the institutional unicorn investors. They're so obsessed. Okay, everyone wants to go to institutional investors, but if you read any reports from Pricking, I think it's called Pricking, right? Um, the, the, the website. Um, I read a lot of reports from them. Um, every single year, institutional investors, like you know, asset allocators, they will have 500 requests from fund managers, and then they set up 10 meetings and two allocations. So it's fiercely competitive. So it's sometimes not a good, it's not a good, let's say, fit for emerging managers like us. Whereas traditionally, family offices has been the stronghold for you to scale your, your, you know, your, your, your fund as an emerging fund manager. Hmm. Wow. Well, that's not, that's good insight. Three investors, $45 million. I love it. And, um, and again, Lawrence, congrats to you on what you've done. Again, you're based out of Australia, which is incredible. I want to ask you about, um, kind of shifting gears. What do you see, you know, the, the future of scaling a hedge fund specifically in a trading fund? Do you see problems with scaling? As far as how to manage, you know, it's, is it is it different for you to manage 10 million euros versus 45 million euros? Or is it about the same process? Have you hit a, kind of the, the scale factor of, you know, it starts to change. You become a market shifter a little bit when you take different trades and you can't deploy capital. Have you felt that yet or no? No, 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 not yet. Not because, you know, we're swing traders. Maybe if you're day trading, you, you care about a few picks, but we don't. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, you're fine. so. So we, we trade the most liquid markets. So actually on operating agreement, I specifically said the company will not trade any instruments with the daily average volume of less than $1 billion. Mm -hmm. So we trade things like, you know, instead of trading single stocks, we trade the S&P 500 futures, which has a $250 billion a day yeah. in daily average volume. So good luck to anyone trying to move that market. $250 billion if you trade the ES, the immediate S&P 500 futures. Or, you know, you trade the NASDAQ futures, that's like, I believe, tens of billions. You trade the Nikkei, that's like another 10 billion. And foreign exchange is even bigger, $6.6 .6 trillion a day as of 2020. So it's it's crazy. So there's no, nothing stopping us. Like, you know, um, I, I can run a $10 billion fund tomorrow and still do the same thing. Yeah, it'd still be fine. Yeah, that's amazing. I love it. Yeah. Uh, what advice would you give to somebody, you know, watching this, like, man, I want to get started in the fun, in a fun space. I want to do what Lawrence has done. What advice do you give to them to people just starting out? Um, and maybe that, let's just say people just starting to trade. Hey, I'm just starting to trade. I'm getting in the game. There's a lot. There's, I think right now, 44 million new people have signed up for accounts in the United States. Um, which is just crazy for trading accounts. There's that's many new investors have entered the markets. Thoughts for, for somebody just starting out? I know you had your teeth kicked in a couple of times when you were starting out. Any advice to them? No risk management. So because uh, that's another thing I have to say. When you raise capital, uh, especially from qualified individuals, what I say, you know, quality professional investors, performance is not the most important thing, but risk-adjusted return is the most important thing. Let's say I can return 100% a year with an 80% drawdown, that's not very good, if you know what I mean. So you need to have, so no risk management, just, just uh, let, 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 let's say, make sure the drawdowns are very low. And then remember you are running a business. As intimidating as it sounds, some people are just born to be traders instead of running a, running a business because a lot of fund managers fail because they don't realize they're actually running a business. 
So as intimidating as it sounds, some people should, should just go and trade, you know, um, friends and family's money because they are not good at running a business. You can be a great trader, but a very lousy marketer, and you're going to find a very, very difficult time scaling your fund. Um, I, so, I love that. And I want to hit on the risk management aspect. I've had actually a number of managers come on. You know, right now it's the the trends online or, oh, you know, we're going to go to the, this stock's going to the moon or I'm going to take the highest risk gambling, whatever bets. Mm-hmm. And when you talk to a seasoned manager, they'll say it's again, risk adjusted rate of return, right? How do you mitigate your downside just as much as your op, you know, trying to, to leverage up for an upside? Um, what are a few things that, that, you know, you do to help mitigate the downside? on your, on your platform without giving away any, you know, trading secrets, stuff oh, like course. that. Are, maybe, <laughs> maybe some few things we can glean from you. How do you actually sure, sure. the downside? The most basic one is stop loss. Use the stop loss. A lot of people, let's say, okay, I'm a 100 lot trader. I'm a one lot trader. That's just BS because you have to calculate your position size depending on your account. And then before you enter a trade, you have to have, know exactly where you're going to get, you're, you're going to get out. Yeah. And then that stop loss you know, once it's hit, because nothing, absolutely nothing, nothing, zero is 100% in the market. Nothing is 100%. The only thing that's 100% sure in the market is uncertainty. So um, yeah. so before you enter a trade, you have to calculate your position size before, you know, you should know exactly where you're getting out and do not ever lose more than 2%. That's the conventional wisdom, like, you know, but personally, I choose 0.5 to 1% because even 2% is too much. Think about it. 45 million euros. When you lose, when you, when you, now it's 49 million euros. So if you lose 2%, it's almost a million euros. Yeah. So um, I always joke with my friends, you know, uh, risk management is so important to us. If we lose 1%, we basically lost a Rolls Royce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, so um, number one, most straightforward is uh, to calculate your position size and make sure the stop loss is hit. You don't lose more than 2%. Um, well, my suggestion is 1%. A lot of gurus will tell you 2%. That's number one. And number two is um, um, you got to take a profit, let's say. And you, you're, okay, let's, let, let's put it this way. Risk slash reward ratio has to be greater than one to two. So your reward, your take profit has to be at least twice as big as your, as your um, you know, um, risk. Let's say I want to buy Apple at $100 and your stop is $90. You're risking $10. You have to, your take profit should be at least 120. Hmm. Therefore, even if you only win 50% of the time, you still can make money Hmm. because, you know, I think winning ratio is overrated because you can win 90% of the time and the 10% of the time blow your account. Then doesn't say much. And I see a lot of signal providers online advertising, okay, sign up for this 80%, 90% um, accuracy, like signal. That's just complete BS because don't fall into that trap because risk slash reward ratio of one to two minimum is the holy grail to trading. Hmm, I love that. That's spot on, Lawrence. I I couldn't agree more. That was well said, especially for a lot of the degenerate or the ape, whatever you want to call traders (laughs) right now. I think I love what you just mentioned. Um, I want to ask you a different question, global markets, micro, microeconomics. What do you see? Um, you know, you've had guys like Michael Burry get on Twitter 
saying mm-hmm. we're going to have a 90% collapse in all markets and sectors. Um, you know, we have an, a crazy amount of, of money printing going on around all countries in the entire planet, not just the United States and, and other, I mean, just, it, it's a very interesting time for global finance. What are your thoughts? Do you see, um, you know, a crash coming soon or do you see markets as a kind of a new normal with how many, how much new dollars are created? What are your thoughts? Let's just say, you know, if there's one thing I learned over the past few years, never, ever try to pick the top. Hmm. I've, I've known traders like, you know, fund managers. I still don't understand why they're managing hundreds of millions of pounds in London, but they keep picking top since 2015. Okay, we're going to crash. Wrong. 2016, Donald Trump got elected. Okay, we're going to crash. Wrong. Wrong again. And then finally, 2020, they got it right once. And then only to get slammed again. So do not, we, we don't try to pick tops like professional traders never pick tops and bottoms in the market so mm-hmm. i'd rather be wrong once at the top and then you know i get stopped out once that's it but uh, i can be uh, and uh, i, I want to be right nine out of ten times during the bull market so i don't want to forecast a crash nothing goes up forever that's all i have to say nothing goes up forever in a straight line so at one point i can have correction but i don't want to predict a crash Gotcha. Never pick tops. <laughs> Never pick tops. That's good advice. But some people would say, you know, everyone's a good trader in a bull market, right? Everyone's a genius in a bull market. It's really mm-hmm. a test of true traders in a bear market. Can you trade in a down market? Have you, have you, uh, Lawrence? I, I don't know the markets you've. I know you trade around the world. And there's in different markets all over the uh-huh. world. Have you uh-huh. guys seen a, a, a decent bear market um, in any of this, in any stuff you've been trading over the last few years? Absolutely. March 2020. <laughs> yeah go no further than march 2020 actually so in february we went on the the vix futures you know the vix yeah. the volatility index futures yeah. and 15 and we got out at 20 so that was a very decent profit it actually went all the way up to 80 wow <laughs> all-time intraday high i think so the vix so march 2020 was a very 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 good um month for us i believe it was five to eight percent just a month in a bear market Wow. And then also Q4 2018, there was a vicious bear market as well. So actually, you know, I published an article on an, our company's website. So it's called uh, uh, How to Build uh, What's Considered a Good Hedge Fund Track Record. So number one, you're going to have uh, reports like, you know, your um, uh, account and auditor's reports from, a, from a, a basically a first world country. And number two is your fund size, your net, you know, your net asset value and your the structure of your fund. Like, you know, I talk about structure of your fund, it matters. And number three, I talk about at least one year of track record because I'm covering, so preferably covering both bull and bear markets because a sudden and vicious bear market is a true test of a trader's risk management strategy. So I think... Many, many, from my experience, a lot of professional investors, family offices, they'd like to see, um, you know, uh, what happened, um, you know, in a, in a bear market. They, they'd like to see your track record in a bear market. Like the most recent one, like, like I said, again, March 2020 and Q4 2018. Mm, yeah, interesting. That's, well, that's impressive that you guys did so well, especially March 2020. Um that's a, that's incredible. You guys did. And it, and it really truly is a test of, of managers, right? During a mm-hmm. crisis, how do you manage a crisis? And, and I think actually on your website, you guys reported, you actually had a, a, a loss over a certain year. I can't remember the, the amount number, which I think is totally fine for people as well that, that always ask me, well, Bridget, what if I lose money? It's fine. 
as long as you don't lie about it, you're straight up with your investors, you, you learn from it and you tell them what's going on. Um, most investors that I've seen typically stick with, stick with it. As long as you don't, as long as you're again, have integrity or straight up or honest with what's going on. Um, people know you're not going to pick it right every single quarter for, you know, 50 years straight. They under, people understand the, the nature of investing. And so, um, to Lawrence's point too, you know, I, I, yes, you guys, I think on your website, you had a little bit of down period on other times you guys have done very well and it's been, it's been great. And I, it's a testament to you guys of, of investors that'll stick with you. And then you guys sticking it, sticking it out as well, I think is amazing. Um, so you're not going to pick a, you're not picking markets. You're not going to try to pick a top. I love it. Take taking profits as you can grab them, um, as, uh, as they continue. So three main. Hopefully, I can definitely say though, like you know, now is definitely not the time to buy and hold like the S and P. It's just yeah, it's just nonsense. <laughs> Buying here and hold for the long term, wishing to generate fifty, a hundred percent within the next few years, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Let's just say yeah. So I'm talk- yeah. talking more about from like a swing intraday swing trading perspective. Probably you can still chasing more upside in in, in global stocks. But uh, yeah, definitely not the time to buy a hold. <laughs> yeah, interesting. I want to ask about you, uh, just personally. What does your day to day look like? Are you, I mean, all day on just a rig monitors trading? Do you have algorithms behind the scenes? I mean, are you how how much stress is on you? I, I just want to get more into your every day. Like, I, how much do you feel that stress of managing, you know, eighty five million euros? Um, your lifestyle, you know, what is it like actually a day in the life of Lawrence Yang? So let's just say I, I start this question by saying the less you look at the screen, the better your performance is, is, is going to be. And also the less you trade, the more money you're going to make. So and because, you know, you, you can kick emotions, which is a big factor in trading. Yeah. And, you know, out of this. So actually during the day, like, you know, here, daytime in Australia, which is overnight in the U.S., which, uh, you know, my teams are resting. Um, I spend the vast majority of my time networking and then promoting the business, you know, go on interviews like this or, you know, go on and do road shows. Um, that's, well, that's before COVID, of course, <laughs> before the lockdown. So we actually spend more time um, and promoting the business during the day. So I don't spend much time. I'm meeting new clients, prospective investors. So um that's what's taking up the vast majority of the past. So I know I'm not a stereotypical like trader who glue his eyes to the screen all the time. And also I can tell you, I only have two screens on my, um, um, on my office desk, yeah. two screens. That's it. iMac and iPad. That's it. Wow. Okay. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, well, Lawrence, it's been amazing to have you on. Um, I want to ask you a question before we, before we finish up here. Um, and we're going to have to have you on again too, as well to talk other things. Um, I love to ask this question to everybody. I'm going to leave the mic open to you and I'm going to let you, whatever you'd like to share with this audience. So whatever you feel like would be most valuable to leave with this group, it could be religion, politics, trading, money, finance, whatever you want to talk about. Um, I'll leave the mic open to you if you're two minutes, whatever you think would be most valuable to leave with the world. I'm going to put you on the spot right here. Um, I didn't send you a question like this beforehand. So what do you think is most important from you to share with the world? And here you are, Lawrence. I'm going to give you the mic. You got two minutes. Sure. Um, 90% of the hedge fund managers never raise over $100 million. 90%. So how to be the number one reason why 90% of fund managers fail is because they think allocation, asset allocation, is all about performance. That could not be more wrong. 
and I'm gonna make uh, I'm, uh, I'm gonna you know quote Pricking again. So I read a report from Pricking. So here it is: Investors want to grow their investments in your fund with a hedge fund manager for growth. Growth is a is a is a keyword. No one wants to report to the board of directors that they have lost any significant capital. Contrary to stereotypes, professional investors are not trying to fund hedge funds with outrageous returns at the expense of higher risks. So they're not looking for higher than S&P 500 risk. So you have to guarantee them you're going to have less drawdown, less volatile than the S&P 500. And then they actually look for lower risk return. And then uh, that's another one. Only four to 6% of the professional investors look for double digit returns, more than 10% returns. So when you go on and raise a fund, don't just you know, go straight into your performance, talk about, actually you should talk about how you can grow your diversification factor and think of yourself, you know, um, think about the investors and put themselves into your own shoes. If you're the billionaire, how would you allocate your capital? So that's, um, I think that's the number one thing I like to like, you know, um, shout out to the audience today. I love it. Um, it's it. Yeah. I think that's, that's spot on again, risk adjusted rate of return and, and getting over that hundred, you guys are getting close to over that hundred million dollar. Very close because, because, uh, by October, cause we only do redemption and subscription every, every October, once a year. Oh, once a year. So, okay. So it's once a year. So the lockup period is slightly longer. And um, yeah, we, we have another 10 million euros, you know, committed capital this October. So um, I think that would take us to 96, 98, depending on the exchange rate between euro and the USD. Okay. Wow. That's really cool. <laughs> and if people want to learn more about you and your fund and what you guys do, where can they go to find more about you? Um, the website, most straightforward one. <laughs> okay. We'll link that below. And the website is lawrenceholdings.com. So lawrenceholdings.com, we'll link it below as well. You guys can check it out. Um, you can go see the audited financials and what all the stuff they do. And, and I think there's an investor contact thing if you guys are interested in contacting Lawrence and, and learning more. So Lawrence, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, I know it's early morning there. It's kind of later in the night here, but it's been fun to have you on. Thank you for having me. Okay, thank you guys. We'll see you in the next one. Hey, hey, it's Bridger here. I have four free and simple ways I can further help you to scale your business or fund. Number one, I have a YouTube channel with actually, I don't, to toot my own horn, I think it's decent content on there. Go check it out. Bridger Pennington is a YouTube channel. We go very deep on funds. Number two, I have a one hour free training at investmentfundsecrets.com. We go very deep into how to actually start and scale your very own fund from ground zero. Number three, you can join our free private Facebook group of like-minded people like me and you that go out and launch and scale funds. I go live in there once a week. The name of the group is Investment Fund Secrets. And then number four, finally, I have a free PDF guide on how to actually launch and scale your fund. If you go to investmentfundsecrets.com slash guide, you can download that guide. Now, finally, people always ask me, Bridger, can you help me one-on-one? -on -one? Can we work together? Yes. I don't want to talk about that on here, but if you want to learn more, message me, Bridger at investmentfundsecrets.com or just DM me on Instagram. Thank you guys. And I'll see you in the next episode.